Well, well, well. Alex. After a long break for the summer, Kenan, here we are. Mm. New year, new season. Same, <laughs> same me. I don't know. I think I think I've changed. But Alex, today is definitely a bit of a change for us because we have, you know, another very special guest joining Proof of Content today. Alex, how are you feeling about that? Um, I'm I'm super excited. I think we're gonna have a great conversation. Um, and we're lucky to have this guest. That's all. That's all I'll say. Yes, and you'll leave me with the big, the big intro duties. So, <laughs> without further ado, uh, today we are joined uh, by Christopher McDougall, author of, and I got these written down here: "Running with Sherman," "Unborn Heroes," "New York Times Bestseller," "Born to Run." He has the mug up with it, "Born to Run World," <laughs> um, as well as the upcoming "Born to Run 2." Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. It is a pleasure. It's so great to have you on. Thanks for joining us. There's no way I was going to say no to you, Ken. And after. You went down to Harlem Run late at night to stalk me out and run me to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Wow, <laughs> you got me." Uh, what can I say? You, you got emerged, me, man. You emerged from the darkness, like holy crap. Okay, it's like a U.S. federal <laughs> marshal, you know, trains a fugitive. <laughs> Listen, Kevin is nothing if not persistent and creative. You know. Yeah. Those are two That's words I would, I would use to describe Ken. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, it was, I, I'm, I'm really happy to talk to you. You know, we, that was, well, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but that was a really cool, magical night. So I was just yeah. floating on a cloud of good feelings. So I would have said yes to anything. You could ask to borrow money that night. You would have gotten a yes. <laughs> good to know. We'll keep, we'll keep that in mind here. But no, I, yeah, obviously that was a really special night. I think, you know, from just a little background, you know, I haven't gone to Harlem Run, you know, pretty regularly since moving to New York uh, last year. Um, one of the, the two groups here in, in the city I try to frequent pr- pretty much every week. Um, but that's a group for me that's really, you know, s- such an amazing example of finding community through New York um, and finding community through running in New York. It's something that, you know, and sh- I had, a, I think I brought this up with you uh, when we when we first met that night. Um, I had a similar experience with a group in Charlottesville called Prolific. Um, yeah. They, you know, they've uh, had a great group down there. They got published, I think, in New York Times last year, a great Great group of guys we've got, we've, on the, we've had on the show. Shout out Littles, Paul, uh, and David as well. Um, yeah, so, love those guys. Yeah, great guys there. Hoping to see them in a few weeks here in Charlottesville. But you know, groups like that just for me have opened up a whole other door and possibilities when it comes to my running. Um, so that's you know it's such a cool way to be able to, to finally meet you and you know yes yeah, I did like to say I did I did wait till the end of the run you know it wasn't it wasn't you know halfway you know halfway up Harlem Hill like trying to you know get Chris catch 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 Chris or you always sweating trying to hey you want to come on the pod okay good good, good. we'll we'll punch you in there um, but yeah I think that was awesome really cool experience and I think Chris you've been um because I mean, obviously that was back towards the start of your tour because I think that's what brought you in the city that night so it sounds like you've just gone back home from being on tour for your for upcoming book is that right yeah you know that was a really good that was a special night for a couple of reasons because it, it was really the kickoff mm. that was like the first event we did was ah, with harlem run and i'd spent months trying to figure out like root out a tour the original tour is going to be uh 45 events in 45 cities and I figured okay. out a way I could pretty much hopscotch across the country going from very particular groups to particular groups. You know, I was not really mm-hmm. interested in the usual running store, weekly run where a bunch of strangers get together and run the league, you know. Uh, and Prolific yeah. was one of the groups I was seriously eyeballing. And that's, that's yeah. actually where 
I started to run into trouble because they have those 6.30 a.m. runs. And I think it was like <laughs> Wednesday. What are the days, Kenan? Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, Wednesday, mm-hmm. Friday. Six and I was trying to figure yeah. it out because the other thing is that Charlottesville is it, it's it's off, you know. Is, is Charlottesville, what's the name of Charlottesville, right? Yep. It's yeah, off yeah. beaten track. Yeah. So like yeah. to get from Richmond to Charlottesville, it's like a solid like two and a half hours due west. Yeah. And then there's yeah. nothing north or south of it. And so I'm staring <laughs> at the map like this is a group I really want to check out. They're not close to DC, they're not close to yeah. Richmond, they're not close to Greensboro. It's like you got to go like six hours round trip to loop them in anywhere. Yeah. And that's where the wheels started to come off of this mm, 45 okay. city tour I had in mind because I realized I'm going to spend my life trying to make all this stuff connect. And also the thing about it is like, hey, there's there's prolific. Well, they're 630 in the morning. Then, then what am I going to do next? Like where am I going to go that afternoon or the next day? And then a lot of running clubs do these Wednesday runs, you know, almost the, the yeah. vast majority are Wednesday. So anyway – uh, originally, my concept was start in Boston and get to San Francisco, but heading due south, due west, northwest, mm. southwest, and then up the west coast. And then I realized it's going to take me longer just to plan this than it will be to actually do the tour. Yeah. So I thought, all right, screw that. I'm just going to dial it back to seven events. And then seven yeah. became 12, 14, and then we ended up at 26, which turned out to be there pretty yeah. reasonable three weeks worth. But stop number wow. one was Harlem Run. You know, I, I talked to Allison Desir. I'm a big fan of her work. Yeah. Uh, her yeah, book is coming out. Uh, I've never actually met her in person, but we've talked and we've emailed, and she just yeah. strikes me as just an extraordinarily upbeat, supportive, high energy, you know, if you're going for it, I'm going to get your back kind of person. And yeah. I said, I really want to start off with Harlem Run. And I explained to her why. Because to me, I feel like what's really interesting in running right now are mm-hmm. the more socially focused groups. Groups mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. at, at least 50% as much about the community as they are about the running. And yeah. I really wanted to check that out. I, I was, I'm aware of some of these groups. I've had some experience with them. Yeah. But I really wanted to do a deep dive. And because that's what's really interesting. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about Boston qualifying <laughs> and the rest of that crap. You know, just not interested. Hmm. But you show me a group that is about providing support and solidarity for groups which have not had the opportunity to be as visible in the mm-hmm. running community as they mm-hmm. should have been. Now I'm interested. And so – what we did was connected with trailblazers and pioneers in Boston, mm. uh, trailblazers being a female forward running group, partnering okay. with pioneers, which is people of color, um, eight, mm. uh, go in Hartford, which is uh, basically an offshoot of, of pioneers, Harlem run, of course, front runners in New York. Mm. Uh, I connected up with the Dickman street, um, run club. Do you guys ever run with them? Oh, they are. Uh, I thought I was uptown when I first moved to New York. Like, oh, Upper East Side, Manhattan is East Harlem. East Harlem's uptown. And no, they are up uptown. Like, there's them and then there's yeah. uh, WRU. We run uptown. When they say they run uptown, they mean it, man. Like, that is. Yeah, I want to. I would love to go in, up there, but it's gonna take me a minute. To get in there. Town. Well, you should you should go up to because I yeah. met a couple of Dickman Street uh, at an event with front runners. Mm-hmm. And number one, what it warmed my heart was they weren't even sure why they were there. Someone from front runners said, "Hey, Dickman Street, we're doing an event." You know, and they're like, okay, you know, show you call, up. Exactly. we answer. So exactly. they showed up. They didn't know what the event was. 
but you know they were just so cool so fun and i thought oh, here's another club i didn't even know existed but they're showing up in force and the way they were speaking about their club it was with such like pride and energy yeah and i was like oh let me add another day to this tour man because i went around <laughs> with them so everywhere we went i would hear about another club there's a group out in jersey city the uh, the slow af run club yeah that's on the post yeah they look really fun they look really cool that's a so good actually cool, i love man. that i love that message i do alex knows that's and it. the second I, so this guy arun when yeah. uh, i bumped into him and he mentioned to me i think he's wearing a shirt and i'm like dude mm-hmm. what's the slow af club he's like, oh yeah we're a club in jersey city that yeah. name alone i will get there and so we had like a tiny like our only morning off was like sunday morning yeah. you know yeah. from seven to ten like nope yeah. no longer off we're doing this event so we buzz out there uh, it's everywhere you know students run philly style riot squad in baltimore uh my favorite the santa mujeres in uh san diego so we found these clubs all over the place and um harlem run was a great kickoff because we were welcomed this family and we met there's nobody you can talk to yeah. in that club that doesn't have something interesting to say uh, and the energy was great. And, and to me, it was so encouraging that a sport, which I frankly was feeling, which has just gotten kind of rotten in some ways, you know, oh. everything is so performance-based, so product-based, so commercialized. Hmm. And then to turn up in city after city after city and find the exact opposite, social, encouraging, nothing to sell, have a good time, yeah. pull somebody else along. That, yeah. That's what made me feel really good. Man, there's a lot to dig into there. I would, I'll start. I know you have, for me and Harlem Run tying together Harlem and Prolific, because um, I saw in Harlem Run the other day they had a post uh, celebrating the Bronx Tamarler, which they represent. Um, but also, <laughs> like, I th- what I liked the most about that post wasn't that they were celebrating all their runners, which is obviously great. They do that for every race. It was at the end of the post they said, "Hey, even if like, you're not into running races or you didn't run this race and you just want to come out and you know, get some miles in with us, like, that's great too." Like. It isn't like we're not all about racing. We're not all about you know performance, as you say. Not, we're not a performance based club. Obviously, they they were going to be there and they were there, you know, in in mass cheering everyone on and being really supportive for their runners. And that's you know that word family that you said like that to me is like the overarching you know, similarity between prolific and the Harlem Run. These are real these are families that like prolific, for example, Wednesday nights. I think they do they have like a kids crew where they all yeah. like you know all the kids will come together um, and we, you know, and they'll do like their own little run walk together. Like it's not, you know, that's, it's not for any one single person. It's for the, the community to, you know, exist and support the community. Um, so going back to Harlem run and, you know, seeing that, you know, they're not here just, you know, to help you with your time to help you get better. Cause I feel like a lot of New York running, especially for me has felt like it's everyone kind of doing a solo sport for themselves. You know, it's either you're there and, you know, you want to get a personal record. So you're always, you know, your head is always, you know, you want to beat yourself up for getting a better, for running more, for not eating, for eating too much food the other night. Like it's not really, you know, there's lots of emphasis on the other parts. And for me, and maybe, you know, it sounds like you're maybe there as well, like the more fulfilling and more enjoyable parts of running, which is really to share it and support it with other people. Well, that, that's sort of the mission that uh we've been on with this with this book born to run too was you know when i wrote born to run back in 2008 it was published in 2009 um to me the message was hey you know what running does not need to be miserable that actually the takeaway from the tarumata is that they 
run in a way where they maintain the joy and the solidarity and the camaraderie of it. That's what makes them great. It's not oh, that yeah. they're any better. They enjoy it more. And yeah. the increased enjoyment leads to improved performance, which makes perfect sense. You know, that yeah. if you enjoy something, you're more inclined to do it. And mm -hmm. if you do it more, you're going to get better at it. And if you get better at it, you enjoy it more. And it just goes into this cycle, you know, this yeah. upward cycle. Yeah. And, but then years go by, I'm like, huh, like nothing's changed. You know, like it's still about the cushion shoes. It's still about how fast. It's about the Strava. Like Strava. <laughs> barely existed uh in 2009 if it existed at all and now it dominates yeah. like this whole thing of like yeah i'm not just racing people around me i'm racing the world you know the, the mm. world is a race the world is my is my rival and so i was kind yeah. of dismayed by that and so i thought you know it's time to write a second book and really bear down on the message that has been missing all along it's kind of funny mm. because when i wrote born to run to me the message of the book is we are born to do this. It's fun. And the message yeah. that everyone read is barefoot shoes. We should take our shoes off. What about taking your shoes off? So all I ever talked, all I ever heard about was yeah. running barefoot, which is, you know, interesting, but it's yeah. not the point, not the point. you know, it's an incidental <laughs> point. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, let me, let me circle around again and just try to like really hammer the point. And so what we're getting at in this book is that, yeah trying to demonstrate there's there's a very different way that humans evolved as runners uh humans evolutionarily are not solitary self-focused runners who are trying to go as fast as they can that is a recipe for disaster you know okay. in prehistoric times if you ran off by yourself you didn't run back yeah, you know, yeah. that's 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 how you that's how you die yeah you know humans hunted and they moved as a group in solidarity you also remain within your aerobic stress level. You were not pushing your anaerobic threshold because if you did, you're always on the brink of disaster. The idea mm -hmm. is, you know, as, as you start to use more oxygen, your peripheral vision will start to shrink. You know, you, you lose sensation in your body. Your head starts to come down. Your chest starts to cave. Uh, when you are moving lightly within your aerobic capacity, your head's up. You have a wider mm -hmm. field of vision. Your chest yeah. is out. Your diaphragm is expanding. You're able to maintain a conversational pace, which allows you to collaborate and share yeah. ideas. And yeah. so what we try to get in Born to Run too is that there are all kinds of sources of free energy that can make your running better without making it more painful. And one of them, the primary ones we look at is community. You know, we, we call it family. If you run with family, like no yeah. one's ever run finished a run with their friends and thought, oh, that sucked. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, I know Alex, I don't know. Maybe oh, you gotta come over. <laughs> no, no. Unless you got dropped in the last mile, maybe then you'd be like, Yeah, I'm not running with you I guys. Took that again. Yeah, I took that personally, Alex, at one time, man. Don't play <laughs> me like that, man. Said, oh, yeah, exactly, now. dude. See you guys you guys you guys are not running with together, you're running <laughs> against each other. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I see now. That that makes sense now. You know, it's all beginning to click. Yeah. No, that, that's a good point. Yeah. And I, yeah, I um, I, mean, I I love that. I love that. Um, you know, your what you wanted people to take away versus what people took away from a book. I think that happens often. Um, and I love that you're coming back to kind of clear the air, um, and double down on that point. Um. And I agree. Like I love the the history lesson there um, of of 
hunting and packs and um, running aerobically, how key that is to, yes, maximizing, maximizing your performance, but also just enjoying running more. Yeah. Um, which doesn't mean you can't be competitive. It can't, doesn't mean you shouldn't try on occasion hmm. to run your hardest, your longest and your fastest, but those should be special events. You know, that's a very special gear that you break yeah. out once in a while. Uh, but the majority of the time when you are running that engine, that engine should be purring, you know, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be revving, it should be yeah. purring along. And that's what I really see is one of the major strengths of the community focused groups. What I loved at Harlem run, there's a guy, what the heck was his name, man? Shoot. I got it in my notes somewhere, but he was <laughs> like, I'm the loudest of the 11s, you know? So he was in the, the 11 minute pace group. Yeah. yeah. And you might, I'm sure you know who I mean, Ken, and he's kind of yeah. a, moderately height guy. Uh, yeah. I think he's in his early fifties. He just moved up to Harlem from Florida after a divorce. I remember, okay. I remember everything about the guy except his name, but anyway, yeah. I love the fact that this guy was busy being around that one pace group, you know, being the loudest of the 11s. But to me, there was a real message there was he had to have the air capacity. He could not have been in oxygen deck because he couldn't have been the loudest of the 11s. Yeah. He was clicking with everybody and he was providing that free energy for both himself and the other people. Cause you know, you could tell he was getting like a psychic lift out of it, but so was mm. everyone else. Mm. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, and Chris, I want to ask you, I think you brought it up, you know, brought up a couple things there in terms of, you know, maybe the trends or things that have changed since Wonder Run one came out now with the sequel coming up. Um, maybe you see the new Apple watches that are coming out. It's like they're measuring everything from like your VO2 max, your stride length, like everything is like your vertical so, ratio, <laughs> like, which is like, you know, it's cool, I guess, but you know, the, the, the follow through impact of that technology, maybe we haven't quite come to grips with. So we'd love to get your take on this. I know it's a lot of moving parts there, but, uh, it, it's, I try to be a glass half full guy, you know? Okay. Yeah. We but love that. It, it's, but it's dismaying when the message is always about shit you can buy, you know, mm. here's more shit mm. you can buy mm. when to me, the message should be the opposite. Here's more fun you can have. Uh, mm -hmm. and the idea, I mean, to me, the major failing of the running message is about performance. You hear about it all the mm. time. You know, running magazines constantly, you know, how you can run your fastest 5K, how you can run a marathon on only four miles a week, you know, mm. perform, 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 races you can sign up for, you know, did you qualify? It's this constant mm. measurement. It's like, it's like you're always taking the SATs for the rest of your life. Wow. Wow. And yeah. to me, like, that's just not it, man. That's not it at all. And then what gets synced in with the performance is here's something you can buy. So uh, mm -hmm. you're going to be judged by this performance. Now, here's some stuff you can buy to make you perform better. Here's the carbon mm -hmm. shoe. Here's the Apple Watch. Here's the Strava thing you can sign up for. Here's the nutrition plan mm -hmm. you can buy. You know, it's buy, buy, buy. And I, 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 it bums me out. You know, it, it depresses me because I feel like it's just taking advantage of people. It turns running into something that you're supposed to feel uncomfortable about you're supposed to feel a little bit intimidated you know when you walk into a running shoe store and you're looking at the wall of shoes 
and you don't know what the difference is, you're instantly put in a position of subordination. You're suddenly in an inferior mm. position because you need to now rely on the person in the store to tell you. And so whenever you walk in and you have less information than the other person, that's like a classic sales scenario because now you are vulnerable because you got to trust mm. this person. And yeah. this person is going to say, oh, yeah, well, why don't you on the treadmill? Let me uh, do a gate analysis, which is the biggest bunch of horse shit. You know, <laughs> oh, I see you're this. You know, you're a supinator, you're a pronator, you're blah, blah, blah. And then they'll say, oh, you know what? Yes, you're overstriding. Why don't you go work on your biomechanics? No, they go, oh, mm -hmm. you're overstriding. Let me sell you a shoe. You know, mm -hmm. and I'll see you in four weeks mm -hmm. to get another version of the same shoe. That's so, right. what bothers me. But right from the get-go, mm -hmm. I mean, think about this. If you open any running magazine and you're a new runner, they will always say the exact same thing. If you're a new mm -hmm. runner, make sure you go to a running specialty store and find out what kind of shoe you should wear. The very first thing you're told as a beginning runner is, go buy some shit. I work an extra there. Um, so I think where I was going with that, if I recall, yes. Um, so yeah, I started running. I like, used to hate running before, uh, obviously, the pandemic, where everyone's talking about, okay, gotta, gotta get outside, gotta get some you know, mental break as much as anything else. And you know, this mentality I brought with it was, yeah, like, gotta, gotta be going running farther. Distance for me was like the first thing I wanted to maximize week over week. I was like, how far can I go? Because before I never cracked like three miles. So once I did, it was like, oh man, let's just test you know the limits of of humanity here. Let's just go all the way up to like coming up to like you know uh, what, thirteen miles. So I tried to do a half marathon my first go around it. So definitely, I can hear you telling me right now, like, what are you doing? Like, and this is knucklehead running out here. Like, not the ideal approach for a beginner. Um, but I think. You know, for me, and learning to you know take a step back and say, you know, the hardest part is actually learning learning to let your let go a bit and learning to go easy on yourself throughout these runs. And to Alex's point about you know being consistent, like I don't, if I you ever told me back then like oh like just be consistent it'll come, I think that's a like that's the ideal output I think is to is to like learn how to build consistency in, in your running. Um, and Chris, I think you were speaking on it a bit earlier, but it's like the trick is really you know finding the right you know mental and physical motivation factors to encourage a runner this is my opinion it's like to, that will keep that that'll keep you running you know where so like you know if if the reason why i run today is different than two years ago but that's a good thing because it's kept me running it's kept the sport fresh it's kept you know you know i found different angles to it that keeps me coming back maybe not for the same thing but for a different you know for a different reward um chris where do you where do you stand on this is this amazing yeah pretty much i i, I think the thing about it what i would say is just treat running like any other physical art, like dance mm. or martial art or swimming. Mm. You know, uh, I mean, imagine if someone just chucked you in the pool and you started thrashing around. Yeah, you'd have to find ways to stay motivated. You'd say, this sucks. Mm. You know, I'm snorting in water, I'm barely half drowning, and I don't enjoy it. It's not fun. Mm. Uh, and then you try to trick yourself into, well, I'm going to try and thrash out six laps of the pool. Or I'm going to try and thrash out eight. But imagine how much more enjoyable it would be if someone said, hey, dude, Here's how you breathe. Here's how you kick. Here's how you keep your back straight. Here's how you do a stroke. Mm -hmm. And then progressively, you would learn that art. You would get more comfortable with the stroke. And mm -hmm. as you get more comfortable with it, you are naturally going to go farther. You'll naturally go a little bit faster. And, um, and, and that brings its own joy and motivation. So what I would suggest to people is 
don't assume just because you can thrash your legs and move forward that you know how to run. Hmm. Uh, that it's a physical art. And again, we know we, we learn it. We know it as kids. It, we, we do it instinctively because this is something we're good at uh, naturally as human animals. But then, you know, you, you plant a kid in a desk and say, all right, now don't move for like 12 years. Like sit here yeah. and learn a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And then when you're in your mid 20s and you're starting to put on some weight, now suddenly try to pick up where you left off when you were five. Yeah. So, you know, uh, you know, running is something that we, we gradually remove from our natural ecosystem over time. If you play a, a running based sport, you will do some running, but it's not treated as an art unto itself. You know, running is a thing you have to do in order to do something else. So over time, you know, we start to become less and less familiar with those biomechanics. And so we're basically, we find ourselves in our mid twenties or whenever we start to run again yeah. in the same position as that kid you chuck in the pool and say, now figure it out. And yeah. so that's what I tell people is treat running like a, like a martial art, like a physical art. And then okay. when you do, you'll find the satisfaction of the mastery. Yeah. I like that. Chris, quick question. Um, have you read what I talk about when I talk about running? Um, no, nah, I, I never, I never did. I'm not sure why. Uh, it's recommended a lot. It's kicking around a lot, but I've never opened it. Okay. Well, when you have a chance, it's, it's, it touches on a lot of stuff you were mentioning. So um, we'd highly recommend that one. Um, and I think my takeaway from what you just mentioned is also like patience. Um, patience with running. Mm -hmm. That'll take you a long way than like Kenan said, you start running and you just want to go fast and you just want to, you know, push the limit. Um, but even have a little bit of patience, a little bit of restraint, um, that'll really pay dividends, uh, later on down the line. That's right there, man. I mean, patience over punishments is now, <laughs> I think the model I'm building for myself. Um, I yeah. imagine Chris, are you, do you see this a lot? Like, you know, the typical story of like someone who like thinks like what defines a runner is like being like super hard on yourself and like like oh i'm a runner like i have to push myself and run myself into the ground and burn out like how everybody says how that go, everybody yeah. says that that's like the, the main drum beat now it's like the whole david goggins thing you know if you don't finish your run in the emergency room you know why bother yeah. and like dude that's just such a destructive message you know this is the only body you have why would you want to put it in jeopardy why would you want to break it down and beat it up yeah. you know if you got a car you love you're not just like flooring it all the time and you know running over speed bumps you're, you're treating it gently and using it the way you're changing oil you're taking care of that machine yeah yeah as runners we feel like we're the opposite if we're not feeling discomfort somehow we're doing it wrong mm. that's so backwards yeah but i gotta tell you, you know, for me so when i started this whole process i was not a runner myself either when i began it and did, mm -hmm. didn't enjoy it and was hurt all the time and that's when I, I was lucky enough to meet Eric Horton, who started to coach me. Yeah. And that was the first thing he told me is, if you learn good form, you can run as far as you want, as fast as you want, wherever you want for the rest of your life. And I was like, there's no way. That's, that's just wrong. And now I'm looking back, hey, it's been 15 years. And he's right. I go out the door, pick a direction, whenever I want, you know, whenever I feel like, and, and just go. And, and the reason why is because... Uh, for me, form has been an obsession. Like I, every time I, I'm on a run, I'm, I'm sort of second guessing myself. Am I getting it right? Am I driving with my knee? Am I got a good cadence? But to me, that's really rewarding. I, I enjoy it. It gives me something that's really occupying. 
I see, I see. That's very interesting, actually. It's almost like a knowledge, the curse of knowledge, almost. Like, you know enough to, like, track your own, you know, form during a run. But you, and it's good that it keeps you, you know, for you that, that you found, like, a mental, you know, outlet of that to keep occupied and keep you engaged with the runs. I feel like for me, like, because I, you know, I know very far, you know, this much, you know, this much about the form. Um, even with the stuff I do know, it's like sometimes I catch myself overanalyzing my own technique. Um, and that, te- take, that takes away from my mental enjoyment of the activity. Where it's like, look, like, you know, I'm not going to be perfect perfect form, but like, I want to, you know, I want to finish my run, not like detract myself. Like, okay, you know, these things need to be cleaned up. These things I could do, I could do better. So I guess it's focusing, you said you're half class full, guys. I guess it's focusing on, you know, it's still, there's still more to improve. So as you said, about mastering this art form, you know, it's, there's always something left that, you know, you can keep on working on. Is that, is that more of the. Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. But the thing about it is I think a lot of people have the misconception that focusing on form will, it's like a punishment, you know, that's, it's making you think about too much stuff instead of just having the fun, like just blasting out the run, having a good time. But I find the exact opposite that particularly the beginning of a run, you know, you're already forcing an inactive body into motion, you know, that your body's resisting. It's like, Hey, you know, I was comfortable not running. Now you're making me run. And at that very moment, you just turn your attention to, okay, you know what? How's my foot strike doing? How's my cadence? Am I popping along? You know, that actually makes it easier because rather than laboring, you're just pop, 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 pop. You know, you're focusing on relaxation mm-hmm. and making it easy. That's where, you know, Caballo Blanco, when I met him down the Copper Canyon, that was the first thing that guy said to me was, first focus on easy because if that's all you get, that ain't so bad. And once you have the easy, yeah. focus on making it light. And if you have easy and light, then make it smooth. Easy, and you have those three things. Fast. <laughs> and you're fast, right? Focus on easy, light, and smooth, and you're fast. Awesome. So, and so when I, when I do these runs now, at any point, if I start to feel like, oh, this run sucks, I think, okay, what am I doing wrong? You know, is my chest out? Am I breathing? You know, am I is my cadence good? Is my foot strike right? Usually, there's just a mechanical adjustment you can make that can change the run from being a job into a joy. Hmm. Alex, can you use my trigger word, Alex? Did you, yeah, did you hear that, that, that's yeah? very well done. And and you're that's awesome. What you're talking about now is also reminding me of another Chris Chris Bennett of Nike Run Club. Coach Chris, I don't know if you coach. know the uh, Nike Run Club app. They have some guided runs. There's some you know Nike Run Clubs in New York, L.A., um, big cities. Um, and so, anyways, on the guided runs, Chris talks about having like form checks sometimes, like you know, after 10 minutes, after 20 minutes, or like two mile, one mile, whatever. Um, and I think it can go a long way, just taking 15, 30 seconds and doing a form check or, you know, asking yourself those questions you mentioned about um, cadence, um, knee drive, um, breathing um, for any any runner that's like new experience. Um, I think it's really great advice. Yeah. You know, what Eric uh, would have me do on when I was training for a uh, 50 miler in Copper Canyon, he would send me off on these like four hour training runs. And at the two hour mark, he would have me stop and do 30 hill repeats, which sounds just like sick. You're like who would ever do yeah. that to somebody? Yeah. You're already doing four hours. Now I got to do it, you know, one minute hill repeats. Yeah. But it was fantastic because it does. It, it shifts you into a whole different mindset, a whole different gear. And the idea of running a hill is it really does force you to be aware of mm. cadence and knee drive. You know, that 
you can't really slump your way up a hill. If you want to get up there, you got to just drive yeah. that knee, push that leg up. So really, it sharpens your form up. Yeah. And then the yeah. last part of the run was was way better. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then Alex, I mean, you kind of you kind of alluded to where I was going to go already with Coach Chris and the guided runs. I actually did one this morning, guys. I did one this morning called Running for More Joy. Big time in a guided run. It's nice, you know, uh, autumn morning here in New York around the, I live close to the uh, 90th Street Central Park uh, Reservoir. So that's like my typical running morning uh, jog. And yeah, the focus, and I think it ties into what Alex and I were discussing the other night um, about why we run and kind of our purpose of running. Mine really revolves around my trigger word I mentioned, joy, where it's like, you know, uh, I mean, this is because, you know, I'm in the city now. And I see a lot of people, as I mentioned, you know, in the park and not saying this is everyone, but seeing, you know, calling it like I see it. I see it. I feel like everyone's, you know, not really enjoying themselves. Like it's not something that, you know, people are out there, you know, they need to make a time, they need to make a wait. You know, I don't see joy around me a lot in the park. And then when I'm going myself, obviously I'm on the run or with my other friends, that's a whole different energy. But for me, like doing little things like, you know, starting a run in a happy, in a positive mindset, I really do believe in this happy running to try to find relief, you know, and try to make running an outlet for myself. Because um, that's, that's what I view it first as. It's like, okay, like I need to, I need to find some recovery through my running. Um, and that's, I think, my, my side of it. I realized, you know, as you guys are talking about form checks and stuff that, you know, I could be doing better of, I think, to stay more engaged with my runs. So I think there's definitely that balance element to it. But Chris, I think we need your help here. I think we need your help in kind of, you know, maybe helping me and Alex find a balance with our, you know, running mentality and philosophy. Because Alex has a slightly, Alex, I know you have a slightly different approach to this i mean i i told alex i, I run to be happy or like i i and he like almost laughed me off the facetime call we were on so yeah i actually just in, I, I left the facetime call um because <laughs> it was outrageous okay. no i mean i just <laughs> like if i think about why i run it's definitely leans towards um just clarity of mind kind of like finding that stillness um also mental sharpness and then it also helps me creativity like for work for other stuff um and so that's kind of my take on it and and definitely want to hear your take if if you do have one yeah for sure i mean i think those there's a reason why you feel more creative inspired rejuvenated uh, after a run because you know i i think if, if you want to look at the evolutionary model that distance running was the first physical advantage that humans had in the animal kingdom, you know, that before we had the ability to fashion uh, projectile weapons, we would run other animals into heat exhaustion. Like that's how we survived. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was our number one survival thing. So yeah. anything that is beneficial to the species, it will be chemically rewarded. You know, it is mm -hmm. your brain chemistry's way of telling you, this is a good behavior. We encourage it. Keep it up. Uh, mm -hmm. The other thing too about that model of humans as running hunters is that it relies more, on more than physical ability. You know, the, the ability to track another animal down means you have to be extraordinarily alert to your surroundings. You know, what's following me while I'm following something else? What animal exactly am I following? Where did it go? Where, where's my tribe? Where, where, you know, where's my backup? Your brain has got to be just taking in lots of sensory input during this activity. So early on in our, in our evolutionary history, you know, we learned to associate running with heightened perception and uh, thinking power. 
You know, mm. so and then we also had to learn how to adapt to circumstances, to improvise as we go. So all those things are meshed together. You know, mm. running was an activity which allowed us to survive, but it also relied on compatibility, cooperation, adaptability, extraordinary extraordinary perceptiveness of our surroundings. And so I think the same thing happens today. You know, we're still living with that lizard caveman brain. You know, our, our world has changed, but our brain is basically the same thing that Cro-Magnon was bashing in rock with. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, we, we've changed extraordinarily quickly. I mean, all, the majority of the massive technological changes have taken place in 100 years. But, but mm. humans have been around for 3 million years. So mm. all this stuff, all this push button, you know, gasoline powered stuff is all brand new. Our brain and our body has not changed as rapidly as the circumstances they now find themselves in. And so to me, it makes perfect sense that our lizard brain still reacts to running the same way it did 10,000 years ago. It, it wakes up, it starts to fire endorphins and endocannabinoids. Uh, it is a um, up, upward cycle of reassurance. Uh, but again, to me, it all depends on doing it the right way. If we try to make it an artificial thing where, oh, you know what? I, I got 45 minutes before that Zoom. I'm going to hop in the treadmill and just crash out four miles on the treadmill. That's an artificial circumstance that, you know, no prehistoric human would ever do. You know, they would never mm -hmm. run themselves into energy depletion because that's a recipe for, for death. You know, that running was always in a sustainable communal activity, not this, yeah. you know, little interruption in our day that we cram in as fast as we can. Yeah. Wow. So is it fair to say you're maybe anti-treadmill or is that too far to reach? Cause I'm a huge eh, anti-treadmill necessarily. Guy. I can't do it. I can't do it. Although it's what's kind of cool. Dude, dude, have you guys checked out Rome 149? Are you familiar with that place? Mm -mm. No. Oh, you should check it out. That's a podcast yeah. for you guys to do. You guys should do a podcast in Alex. Are you also in New York? Uh, no, I'm in beautiful Austin, Texas. I should have mentioned earlier. Um, but I'm down south. Right. Austin is pretty beautiful. It's pretty, pretty nice place. Uh, I was going to say, well, you know, so, um, Kenan, you can check it out. So yeah. Rome 149 is this yeah. uh, studio down in Midtown where they uh, have these virtual reality treadmills. And so you can trail run. All, and oh, also the treadmill will like, oscillate and change. Mm -hmm. So, on the virtual reality screen, if it has you going up a hill, the treadmill will automatically moon. There's like a moon uh, thing. There's a beachscape. Mm. There's trails. There's a um, New York City Marathon simulation. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I'm not. I'm not anti treadmill, but on the other hand, <laughs> there's so much more to be gained from running in your natural environments. That why not if you can? But you know, listen. Given the choice of no run versus treadmill, yeah, jump on. Jump on the yeah treadmill and have at it definitely um chris you did cut out a little bit there talking about um was it yeah. room 149 um oh, room, yeah. i think i think we got the majority of that uh, in terms of like the vr yeah, okay. experience and running I pause, I pause and I, yeah. um and kind of how how that works which is awesome uh on my on my end like i'm definitely not anti-treadmill i think in certain circumstances it can be great um if you want to dial in a pace or um, you want to, you know, add some inclines if you only have, you know, pretty much flat land around you, but agree with you. Uh, if you can get outside, that's definitely preferable. 
Yeah, for, for sure. Just because to me, it's much more gratifying. Uh, yeah. The treadmill, because of its predictability, it lends itself yeah. toward disassociation. You know, your, your mind is constantly craving variety. Mm. And so does anybody today run on a treadmill without looking at a screen? You know, I, I would tend to doubt it. Someone's always looking at something. Yeah. Uh, at least in, at Rome 149, they actually give you a screen that looks like outside. Yeah, exactly. But to me, to me, the the um, the shortcoming of the treadmill is not the actual treadmill; it's the lack of anything to look at. And so you've got to then create something. So you're, you're once again you're disassociating from the actual activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I did want to. I know you know it's great, great, great conversation. For I did want to take the time to at least you know ask you a little bit about your overall career so maybe we'll come back to i know we have some training uh some training talk we want to get to and round off with but um at least for right now because that's something i'm i was very curious about when i first read your book and you know researching ahead of this competition as well um can you walk us through kind of yeah your career path and you started as a foreign correspondent for the ap um was running or fitness something that you always had this passion for that you knew you wanted to take your career down this this road eventually um alex and i were kind of beginning of our careers and, you know, thinking about different shifts and how to maneuver. It'd be great to hear uh, how, how you did it for years. Yeah, I was a news correspondent. So mm-hmm. I was covering basically universal world of news, everything from finance to professional sports to uh, mm-hmm. um, wars and spent a good amount of time in, in Southern Africa covering conflicts there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I never particularly interested in fitness. Uh, when I moved back to the U.S., to shift from news writing to magazine reporting. I just kind of stumbled into some jobs, you know, I got some pieces with men's health and then with runner's world. Mm -hmm. And I think what the the pivotal shift was when I was doing a story for runner's world. That's when I first heard about the Tarumara and Mm -hmm. went down to the Copper Canyon. Like this, this to me is when I suddenly became interested in fitness writing because when I discovered that so much of what I had accepted as gospel truth from running publications was just complete nonsense. Mm-hmm. It suddenly opened my eyes like, Hey, what else out there is nonsense? You know, when, you know, I'd always been told, Oh, you know, you got to get the cushioned shoes and the right shoes and you got to change yeah. them every 300 miles and all the blah, blah, blah. And then I get down to the copper can, like, these guys aren't wearing shoes. These guys, you know, it's not bad for their knees. They're not, they're not yeah. running themselves into mm-hmm. oxygen debt. They are running in a way that's very different than everything I've been told, yeah. and yet they're better at it. So th- that's what again made me think, oh, okay, this is something worth pursuing. That's the only reason I decided actually to write a book as opposed to a magazine story. It was like, ah. there's a lot of stuff here to look at. Uh, so I wrote Born to Run, and then I wrote yeah. a, a next book called Natural Born Heroes, which actually mm-hmm. looked at gym culture, this idea of like resistance training and lifting weights and the rest mm-hmm. of it. Uh, but put it into a context of uh, resistance fighters from World War II, civilians who were wow. able to operate at a extraordinary level of athletic performance. I mean, basically, if you're running out of a mountain to kick the crap out of a bunch of Nazis and they're running back again, you got to be pretty physically fit. And so my yeah. question was, how did they do it? So that was yeah. Natural Born Heroes. Uh, with Running with Sherman, I became intrigued by um, – animal culture, really, uh, this relationship we have with animals, which again, is relatively um, 
recently did we sort of sever most of our connection with animals. You know, for most of human existence, we work hand in hand with animals. And then we invent the internal combustion engine and suddenly we don't need to ride them. We can ship in our food. So running with Sherman was about uh, taking in a rescue donkey and turning it into a running partner, but really using that as a window into animal human partnerships. Yeah. So that was basically it, man. Started as a war correspondent and then became interested in why so much stuff I believe was true about running was complete baloney and kept pursuing that thread ever since. And you ran with it. Wow. Kevin, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is that is something. Um, Alex, anything on that? Because I'm, I'm soaking it in here. But No, no, that's awesome. Um, and on a personal note, yeah. uh, I like the running with Sherman. Um, I have a puppy. He's nine months old. Uh, his name is Arthur. And um, very oh, athletic guy. And so I'll be looking forward to eventually running with him. Um, I've seen people around Austin and people – run with dogs so uh i just thought it was an interesting point about you know humans being around animals um for a long part of history and now not so much um and so yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how it develops um but i think it's it it does force you to be to one think of something else rather than yourself um but also uh be more understanding and and you know just see how you can you know, communicate with something without actually using words maybe, or without totally understanding each other, but still having some kind of, mm -hmm. um, you know, way of, uh, you know, direction and, uh, just getting outside and, and having fun. Yeah, absolutely. And that, the idea of trying to channel another creature's thinking, you know, through your own perspective and mindset. Yeah. It's, it's really illuminating. You learn a lot about yourself. That, that is so cool. I mean, and through all these, you know, stories and, you know, I mean, even with the magazine articles you've written, how would you describe, like, your creative and research process? I think it's something that I'm, because, you know, as a, you know, wonder around anyone who reads it, like, they pick it up and it's like, yes, great plot and thrill thrilling story. Like, we're in it since from page one, Vaya Blanco, we're, we're on the bus next Mexico, let's go. But then you do, I think, a really cool job of being able to, like, zoom out a bit. You know, go into deep dive on, you know, uh, I think it was you mentioned a lot of research on uh, evolutionary, you know, evolutionary running. And, you know, you had anything out of chapter here on this, a chapter here on that. But throughout, throughout all, you don't really feel disconnected from the main plot. That was, I think, a really nicely, you know, nice construction of a narration there. So what is the, what is your process for making that type of book? And maybe, you know, Born Run is maybe a bit different than the rest of your books. But, you know, when you have an idea, bring that into, you know, an actual, you know, book draft and then researching around that is do you have a specific uh, formula you like to follow yeah kind of i think the idea is that if you're going to do a book you have to sit with it for two years and so the mm. first question is are you interested enough in the topic to focus on it for two years wow. and is there enough story there that can support the weight of two years worth of writing and mm. so you know, so you sort of turn these things around in your head and when you're considering an idea, like, all right, this one's got a pretty cool narrative. You know, it's got a beginning and a middle and an end. It's mm -hmm. got interesting people. And then the next question is, but yeah, is there any beyond the story? You know, is there something else that this can deliver? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if I start to become curious myself, like, hey, you know what? 
like with Born to Run, I was like, why, why are these guys running at 70 in sandals? Like, how does that work? Yeah. I was personally curious. I, I wanted to know the answer for myself, and I didn't know the answer, which means it opens up a really fascinating world of research for you to do yourself. And then once you've got that thing, you know, once you get that treasure chest to open up, you never know where that's yeah. going to lead. So you start to investigate, well, how come they wear sandals? You know, why not shoes? And you start looking into shoes and um, you start to look at uh, how the first shoes were invented. Where do they even come from? Why, why aren't support? Why, you know, wow. why cushion heel? Yeah. Uh, you know, and you said to meet people like Barefoot Ted and, and he's got plenty to say. So little little things like that, or yeah. you find out that a guy named you know Joe V Hill, who was a legendary coach, and the one mm. takeaway he had from the title mom is like, why are these dudes smiling? Like that's kind of crazy. Yeah. And why are they smiling? Is it physiological? Is it psychological? What's going on? So you start to find those little areas for research that mm. uh, personally interest you. So then what I usually do is I, I got a system where I just take a big chunk of poster board. And I okay. slash it up into a grid, you know, with about 30 blocks in it. And yeah. then um, the, I, I do the, the last grid first. Okay, where, what's the last chapter? Where is this story wow. going? Okay. okay. And okay, so for Born to Run, okay, the last chapter is going to be uh, the race. Okay, it's going to end with this, this race. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Who knows? That's the last chapter. Well, if that's yeah. the last chapter, then what's the first chapter? Well, got to be Caballo because he's the dude yeah. who's actually doing the race. You know, it's, yeah. it's really his story. You, you can't get to the race unless Caballo is the guy who's setting all the dominoes into mm -hmm. motion. So the first mm -hmm. one is going to be obviously, well, about meeting Caballo. So now I got my first chapter, I got my last chapter. Yeah. Uh, personally, I'm not a science guy. I don't like it. I'm not comfortable with it. Okay. I prefer to kick the science can down the road. Okay. So I decided, well, if there's 30 chapters, none of the science is going to appear until the last 15 or so. So I knew the science stuff was going to be toward it. If you look at Born to Run, it totally tracks out like this. Like anthropology yeah. does not enter the scene until like chapter like 27 or something. Uh, okay. That's where I'm at. And then I, I realized, okay, so the middle chapter has got to be, I've got to have, have got the backstory out of the way. I've got now to be in the present. So I know that, you know, chapter 15 right in the middle has got to be, okay, we're now in the present day on this adventure. You know, which mm -hmm. means Leadville has got to come before that. So that's basically it. Uh, you start to gotcha. kind of work out the crime scene analysis by where things have to be in order for the story to, to flow. That's awesome. I'm just watching The Wire right now for the first time. And so what you just described to me seems like exactly what they do on The Wire. And they're like, okay, where where's our board? Who's the target? And how are we getting there? That's, that's, uh, yeah, really yeah, cool yeah. I, that's pretty much it. It's exactly it. <laughs> Yeah, figuring out what the logical you know connections are. Wow. Yeah, seems pretty effective. I mean, born to run, running with Sherman. Um, forgot the unsung heroes. The, the, the yeah, unsung natural, uh, born, natural heroes. born heroes. Yeah, apologies. There you go. Um, it's obviously effective. Yeah. So one point for uh, or a few points for uh, backwards planning or reverse planning. Um, yeah. It's also a good way to think about your year if you're thinking about like what you want to accomplish. Because a lot of oh, people Alex think loves thinking about his people year. think like we're getting too close to the end of the year. Alex already started hey, the, the gears are turning. We're cinching on Q four. You know, you gotta look, look around right the right. corner. Um, but no, I that was cool to hear about your process, and um, I think also it seems like you really lean into your natural curiosity and like where you see yeah. like oh this question. You know, why is that 
so, or how does that happen? Um, and kind of following that is also a good inclination. Um, at least that's, that's what I heard. For sure. Yeah, I think so because I'm, I'm really fortunate and, and happy that I wrote born to run. I actually wrote all my books from a position of ignorance. Uh, when I wrote born to run, I was very new to the sport. I'd only had that one race. I didn't know what was going on. I, was pretty sure the stuff was was right, but I didn't know for sure. Uh, and so, mm-hmm. I mean, the only the only barefoot runner I knew was barefoot Ted. So I don't know if this stuff's accurate. And so, to me, it's helpful to write from a position of like, I'm uh, I'm sharing this stuff with you. To the best of my knowledge, it works, but I can't tell you for sure. You know, to me, that's a more trustworthy narrator rather than a guy that's mm-hmm. waving the finger like, "Say, you know, I you know this is the only way." To me, it's more like, I think this is uh, this could be good. It worked for me. See what you think for yourself. And, mm. and I try to maintain that same perspective in, in all the books that I do. Like, here, here's where I got so far. Yeah. I, I mean, I really love that. Everyone talks about, you know, when you, you know, honest honest narration. And, like, I think maybe that's really why Born to Run had such a big, you know, resonance as it is. Uh, you know, you read it and you're like, no one's you're not trying to coach us. You know, or you're not trying to like instruct us about you know how this needs to be. Is that you or any of the characters like you know having uh, an ego an egocentric you know approach to running? It's really you know it's we're we're almost we have a seat in the bus with you, and it's you know we're learning as we go, and we're experiencing this as we go for along you know along along the ride. So I think that's at least for me, it was really what just putting the words of it because that book's so special. So. Well, that's it. that said, that's why we decided eventually to do a, a Born to Run 2 is because yeah. people kept asking. They're like, well, you know, you say change your form. How do you do it? You know, you say change your footwear. Yeah. To what yeah. footwear? And, and I kept those questions at arm's length for years. And I kept thinking to myself, you know what? I, I'm not that guy. I don't know that information. And it finally got through my head. Well, I know that guy. You know, why not just take everything that Eric knows and yeah. put it on the page? Because people are asking the question. People are, are hungry for the information. And I, and I can't just keep hiding behind this veil yeah. of, you know, detachment. Because the truth is, after 15 years, I now feel like I'm in a position to say, yeah, it actually works. I was the worst case scenario. I was the guy that was told by doctors, you should not run. It's uh, medically inadvisable. And now 15 years later, I found that by changing your behavior, you can actually change your outcome. Very cool. Yeah, you built a trust, and now you can now you can preach. Now you got the, the everything to do. That's awesome. A little bit, um, a little bit. Mostly, I'm just letting Eric <laughs> preach, and I just kind of. I got you. <laughs> just, just don't shoot the messenger. I'm, but I'm here with him. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I guess to that end, Alex, I think we had a couple of our own little we'll just round off here. Um, it's a couple of gonna be training training talk. Uh, I know Alex maybe had something specific on. Uh, Alex, a big nutrition guy. Alex, you know, I like to just kind of run. And I, after my run, I eat. I, you know, I eat whatever I feel like it, and you know, what goes in comes out. It checks out. We're good to go. Um, Alex, I think this is a better job of to keep track of his nutrition. I mean, I try. Alex. Don't don't sell yourself short, Kenan. You're Kenan. I'm trying to upsell you, my guy. It's not. It's not. You know, it's two way street. But yeah, you know, that, that, doing good yeah job. that's fair. I will say, Kenan's a good chef. He he makes his own meals, and oh, he's um. God. <laughs> does it as well if my mom's laughing he tries he I tries know, but um trying. on my end i yeah. just uh yeah i mean i i think about it i still have things to learn with nutrition for running um and 
definitely want to hear about any, obviously you've saved a bunch for the book, but some tips for, um, you know, nutrition for performance and recovery. Um, and then as a quick anecdote, um, chia seeds are pretty much a staple in any, any smoothie I make. Um, I can pretty much, I can tell if they're in it or not. Um, cause sometimes I run out before I've gone to get my groceries. So, um, I just love chia seeds and I have a whole, my recipe for smoothie is long, but, um, in any case, would love to hear some tips for, uh, or suggestions for a nutrition for performance for runners, um, and recovery. Well, you know, again, I'm not a big fan of performance. As soon as that word enters the conversation, I start to get a little antsy. Like, are you just trying to like turbocharge your gas tank? Um, because I think that's, that's fine in its place. But I think, unfortunately, most runners have a misguided relationship with food. Many of us uh-huh. actually get into running because of food, you know, because, oh, I want to get back in shape. I want to lose a few pounds. You know, I want to get tightened up or something like that. So we are using running as a response to our eating. And to me, that's kind of that dangerous cycle. You know, we have this phrase like your fork is not your coach. You know, what you eat should not be dictating how and how much you run. And so I'm less concerned about people dialing in the kind of eating that will give them an extra, you know, few strides in a race and more interested in the kind of eating that takes food off the table. That food is no longer a factor. If you've dialed in your eating approach, then you're no longer using running as a response to your to your food. Um, and so for that, to that, to that end, there's a thing called the two-week test. Uh, it's a way of stripping out all the high glycemic foods from your diet. That's what really ultimately is what affects performance is, you know, is your insulin spiking? Where, where are your blood sugars? Like that is basically what's going to affect your performance negatively or positively. And so, but it also is a way of creating a healthy eating system for yourself. So one thing we recommend is you do the two-week test. You strip out all the high glycemic foods from your diet for 14 days. No rice, no pasta, no breads, no no fruits, mm. um, no sugars, no Gatorades. Get rid of all that stuff. But you can eat plenty. You can eat you know all the salmon, the spinach, tomatoes, lamb chops. Mm-hmm. Have at it. Okay. Go nuts. Sour cream, go for it. Do mm-hmm. all that stuff. At the end of two weeks, after you've stripped away the high glycemic foods, then – gradually reintroduce them into your eating. So have a, uh, a half a cup of rice with your, with your curry. Uh, see how you feel. If you feel awesome, fine. If you start to feel a little bit sluggish, a little bit bloated, a little bit, oh shit, man, I better have a coffee. That's telling you your, your insulin just spiked. And that mm. half cup of rice is too much for you. Maybe a quarter cup of rice. Maybe you've decided after two weeks, I don't really need the rice. You know, I'm doing fine without the rice. And so the idea is just that is it, it takes your metabolism back to factory preset. You know, you strip away all the processed and sugary foods that we've become accustomed to eating. You get rid of them for two weeks. You know, your metabolism reboots. And then when you have a reaction to a certain food, you know what the reaction is. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. in the afternoon you feel sluggish. You don't know why. Is it because I didn't get enough sleep? Is it because I've been staring at the screen? Or is it because I had one of those like Hagen-Dazs minis, you know, after lunch? And this will give you those answers. So that's, a, that's what I, I would tell people is figure out your eating uh, for health purposes. And then the second thing is you talked about, you know, can it be a good chef? 
most people really don't have a problem with their meals. It's not breakfast, lunch, and dinner mm-hmm. that's going to mess you up. It's everything in between because most of the time we're not, you know, most of our meals are not at the table. You know, they're, they're on mm-hmm. the run. Like you're on the mm-hmm. subway, you're trying to get the Harlem run, you're, you're freaking starving. What do you got? Oh, I got a, I got a granola bar. All right. That's just, just a fistful of sugar you just ate, you know? Uh, yeah. So it, it's those between meal things that are really the shortcoming. And so what we like to tell people is there are some strategies you can use. You can pregame your food so that the stuff you need that will not spike your insulin is, is ready at your disposal. Um, mm-hmm. Those, those uh, smoothies you mentioned, Alex, with chia seeds inside. You can you can tighten those up a little bit too. Throw a chunk of avocado in, something like that. Put, put the whole oil. thing in there. The whole avocado. We do the whole thing. There you go, dude. <laughs> and just gurgle the crap out of that olive oil. You throw in a little spoonful of peanut butter. You know. Um, I go almond butter. Actually. So anyway, you could dial this smooth. Even better, dude. Look at you, man. <laughs> Throwing down the trump card. Right. So anyway, th- things like that, Kenny. So uh, we we really uh, advise people to. Get their get their eating in first, and then um, worry about performance later. There you go. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, man, I don't even know. What to, I mean, obviously, I have to. I, I work on some stuff, but also, you know, anything nutrition is like a lifelong. I, I think one of those things just like you know, a lifelong uh, habit to form. Um, so maybe you know, just like how, how Chris, you said you you be running where with your form, there's always a little bit bits of improvement to make. Um, I think it's trying to take the long. The long view with the nutrition because I mean at least for right now I know I know maybe I'm trying to take advantage of the years where I have you know slightly better metabolisms that's how, that's how I, you see the how I things myself I'm like well if I don't maximize that now well of course I want some bad behavior for later years you know this is the years where I can maybe you know have two cheat days a week instead of it's, who am I lying who am I kidding like, three <laughs> three and a half cheat days a week come on it's New York man like I got I, I don't know if you come up here 88th Street and in, in, uh, Lexington Chris next time you're in the city come on by because we got Shake Shack Chick Fil A <laughs> Popeyes yeah, everything is where you need it, right there on a block on my street. So and it's hard. I man. know, dude. I know, and, it, and yeah, no, no doubt about it. But here's the thing about it too: it doesn't mean you got to take like a vow of abstinence. It's just knowing. It's having the yeah. knowledge. So, mm-hmm. and if you go for a run someday and you say, you know what, man, I'm blasting it. I am just gonna blow it out. I'm not gonna think about four. I'm just gonna blast out a five k. Go for it. You know, that's fine. But the important thing is that you know what you're doing. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, today I'm sacrificing for it. I don't give a shit, you know, fine. Go yeah. for it, man. Have some fun. And same thing. You know what? Stay the fuck away from Chick-fil-A. You know, they are gay bashing, anti-gay. You could do without the Chick-fil-A, Ken. You're better than that. You know? Popeye's give is your right, money right there. To <laughs> they, they put a Popeye's right there. Like, they're just like, they're very competitive. Okay. Perfect. But I would say that, hey, man, same yeah. thing too. If anybody puts a Whopper in front of me, I will murder that Whopper. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Yeah. Uh but at least I know how to get back to zero. Like I know I know where the safe zone is. So I don't even like to think mm. in terms of cheat days. Like I eat, eat this. I know what the consequences are going to be. I will accept those consequences because it's a chocolate banana cream pie. But that said, I know how to get back right into the yeah. safe zone. You know, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, it's a more balanced approach there. It's a good call. Like yeah, it's just awareness. You know, I like that you mentioned. Right. You want to push it? Okay. Go for it. Just know, like, you're going to be sore and, you know, you're going to have to adjust later on. Uh, if you want to have a couple donuts after a long run, 10 miles, do it. Um, just be aware. So I think that's uh, I think that's a really yeah. good approach. Yeah, try to make it the exception, not the rule, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and the rule would be knowing what's good, knowing what's actually going to 
really help you recover, but to make you feel better sooner and try to make that the habit. And every once in a while, yeah, you know, if there's a Bavarian cream, who can resist? <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, Chris, we had a few like quick hitter questions. Um, and we just get like a short answer for each one. Um, and the first one is, I, I, I think I know the answer, but running mantras, are they helpful or silly? That's a good question, which I can't really answer. I think that they're probably helpful. We'll put it this way. If they are helpful, then they are helpful. Uh, I don't really have a running mantra myself other than easy. You know, I think that's pretty much it. If I start to feel the need to remind myself of something, I'm like, okay, what am I doing that's making me feel not easy? Mm. So I would say more, more, I got more kind of that, that blinking warning light more than a mantra. Nice. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Go-to post-long run meal, do you have a favorite kind of dish or plate after a big long run? Not the, not the Whopper, Chris. I'll stay away from that. <laughs> oh, now, now that Whopper's entered the conversation, that's all I can think about. Uh, uh, actually, eggs, dude. Uh, eggs. Um, yeah. I, I start to actually fantasize about them. Egg, eggs and cheese. Like eggs, cheese with some salsa. I'm actually getting hungry on this now. <laughs> Egg cheese, salsa with some sour cream on it, you know? Nice. Uh, basically a breakfast burrito without without the uh, tortilla. But yeah, mm. I, I said, so I got in the habit now of like, I, I almost know where I am in my run when I start to fantasize about flipping the omelet over and putting the sour cream on top. Like, oh, okay, I must be, I must have about 30 minutes to go. Because, <laughs> you know, the stomach's saying, where is it? That's fantastic. <laughs> That's, that's amazing. Um, and then one more question. Um, do your socks have to match your shoe color um, before you go out for the run? You saved the most important for last, of course. No, no socks, dude. I am no socks all the time. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've not worn a sock. And it's funny now when I see someone wearing a sock, like, oh, yeah, I, people wear those things. Yeah. Uh, I think when I started wearing sandals, Wadachis to run, you know, you don't wear socks and then yeah. most minimal shoes are, are better without socks. So yeah, I haven't worn. So in that sense, they do not match because uh, I do not have any skin colored shoes. <laughs> that's fair. I respect that. I respect that. Well, that's all we got for quick that's hits. Awesome. Kenan, anything else? Man, this has been a journey of itself. Um, I, I'm so happy we got <laughs> The chance to speak with you, Chris. Thank you again so much for making the time. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I think we've talked about everything I could possibly think of. So this has been such a great conversation, Chris. Um, yeah, I mean, it's so great meeting you, Harlan Run. If you ever, you know, you do want to make it down to Prolific, um, we, you know, we can definitely get you in touch. They're great people. They're, you know, I'm sure they'd love to have you. Um, I'm sure you're on Charlottesville. Um, and yeah, you know, hope next time you come to the city, hope we can see each other again. Um, and best of luck with. Uh, the book, the book release, and everything coming up this winter, um, and yeah, thanks again. Well, I want to thank you guys, uh, particularly Kenneth, because I associate you with the welcome I got that night, and it oh. was so gratifying to be treated so well by Harlem Run, and you were there. You know, you're one of the people that went out of your way to come up and say hi and, and make us feel welcome. So, thank you for that. 
And also really thank you for letting me know about um, Prolific. They, they're on my radar. I really want to connect with them. So that, that day will come. I'll reach out to you and I'd love to meet them. Awesome. Awesome. We look forward to that as well. Alex, it's been a pleasure. It's been awesome. Thanks, Chris. Um, and yeah, I hope you, uh, maybe tomorrow get you, you'll get those eggs and, and salsa and uh, sour cream <laughs> and, and you'll, you'll scratch that itch. But um, thanks so much. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, Kenan, it's good to be back. Good to be back after a little summer break. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Well, thank you everyone for joining. Hope you enjoyed this one. We'll see you, we'll see you guys later. See Bye. ya.